You're listening to the Simple Pen Podcast, Pinterest for business advice that goes down smooth and easy. Here's your host, Kate All. Welcome to the Simple Pin Podcast. I am Kate All, and I am the owner of Simple Pin Media. We are a Pinterest management company based out of Portland, Oregon. And we manage people's Pinterest accounts, but we also aim to teach simple, actionable tips that you can put into play into your Pinterest marketing. And that's what this podcast is all about, is ways that you can take these and figure out how to grow your Pinterest page without all the crazy extra stuff that people, you know, myths, whatever you want to call it that's out there. We're just going to give you straight advice that we've learned in all managing these Pinterest accounts. But one of the things I'd like to talk about today is a little bit of a shift from that. And that's ethics and online business. And I have a lot of these conversations with people. And Stephanie O'Day, who's with me today. Hey, Stephanie. Hi, Kate. She runs a year of slowcooking.com and we've had these conversations before her and I and then other people about how we're kind of this oversaturated environment of sell 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 get rich quick um these are the steps you need to take to make gazillion dollars or grow your email list and it feels exhausting and it it's very defeating actually for people who do these things, they put into action all these steps, and they end up, it doesn't work like the quote unquote expert said that it would. So Stephanie and I today are going to talk a little bit about that. And then also how it's no longer 2008. And how um, Stephanie blames Paltrow. I had a better waistline then, Kate. <laughs> yes, didn't we all, right? Well, actually, I don't know. In 2008, I just had a baby, so I did not oh, have okay. a good waistline then. Um, and then we're going to talk about like outsourcing and her method for outsourcing and what she puts first and what she puts second. So first, let's back up to you and a year of slow cooking, because I do want to tell you that um, I think back in... 2008. Well, when did you, when did you start? Yeah, that was the year. Yes. I had, uh, I had the first slow cooking (laughs) blog online and now, um, everyone and their mother and probably their grandmother has one. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And you, you know, a friend of mine had actually gotten your cookbook because when did the cookbook come out? Sure. So I have four now and the first one did come out after that year of slow cooking ended. Okay, so before I jump ahead, so tell me how A Year of Slow Cooking started and why you did it. Sure. Um, Thank you for having me. I really greatly appreciate it. And and what I like about you is that you are a real person um, as well as a brand. And um, and I appreciate that. And so um, I value that greatly. So I honestly started the website because I needed to find a legitimate way to work from home. So many bloggers um, and online experts will say, well, that's not a good story. You need to say that you had a love for slow cooking and you just wanted to share it with the world. So that's not true. <laughs> so I'm yeah. not going to tell you that. Right. I I quit my job um, mm-hmm. quickly. I was um, teaching preschool and managing preschool centers and the baby at the time was 22 months and she kept vomiting. So I thought it was daycare germs and I quit, but I live in San Francisco. So that's not an option. And my husband's like, well, you better 
figure this out. So um, she's fine now, by the way. She had celiac, but this was back in 2007, and it was nowhere near as prevalent as it is today. So Mm -hmm. I just, I didn't know why she was getting sick. So she's totally fine. Everything's good now. But anyway, I started doing all of this research and following ads that I found at the back of parenting magazines and and answering things um, that I found online, like, you can make money today. (laughs) And they were truly and totally all scams. So here is a newsflash. You do not need to spend money in order to make money. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Don't think you're going to stuff envelopes and start raking in the dough because that is not True. So I realized I I needed to start something of my very own and I've always liked to write. So I liked the idea of starting a website. Um, And I knew from some research that recipe websites um, ranked well in Google. They had really good SEO. And so I just sort of joked that that's great, but I don't cook. I just use my crock pot. And so the whole thing sort of came together after a New Year's Eve party and a little bit too much wine, probably. And so <laughs> the, the site was launched. Um, about, right? <laughs> the site launched. Um, the original URL was um, crockpot365.blogspot.com. Oh, that's right. Yes. And it honestly remained the blogspot until my third cookbook. And I'd already been on national television quite a few times. And um, I got some sort of branding expert who told me I needed to change the URL. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there you go. So I truly started a kitchen table business with no money down. I didn't even register for a domain name. And now that site is still hosted on Blogger, which is a free blogging platform that Google um, houses. And the reason that I'm Blogger and not WordPress is because I'm Scottish and I don't want to pay for hosting. So, <laughs> awesome. so that's where it is. So um, I do have other WordPress sites and I'm familiar with WordPress, but I've mm-hmm. never migrated the Crockpot site because it's working and I'm not going right. to break it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a good, if it's working, don't break it, which is really good. Okay. So Tell me a little bit then about how that transitioned into um, doing cookbooks. You know, so, so like you did this year long experiment, right? Because that's what it was. It was just it a was. year long. It was truly an experiment. And I honestly thought that I would um, get some sort of huge memoir and then they would write a TV movie about me and maybe Tori Spelling would play me in the <laughs> Lifetime movie and I would write mm-hmm. off to, into the sunset and never have to work again. And right. um, that didn't happen. Although if anybody's listening and you want to make a TV movie about me, I'm totally on board and I will sell you the rights. <laughs> if Tori Spelling is listening, she can, you know, she can yeah. be you. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, um, I, in February or so of that year, I made a perfect creme brulee and I was super excited. And so I decided to email the Rachel Ray show and um, tell them how awesome I was. And how I can make creme brulee and I will come on your show and show your audience how to do it. So I did um, get a call back and um, was fortunate enough to appear on the show um, at the end of March. But they film ahead. So it didn't air until mid-July. So that really sort of egged me on to keep going in mm-hmm. my challenge and I had signed a confidentiality agreement so I couldn't tell my audience this was happening. And mm-hmm. so 
And then once you get through July, you're like, Psh, I might as well just see this through. And, um, and after that, I, I, um, was contacted by a few different publishers. I had a literary agent. And so we ironed out, um, the details with that. So, um, that part was whirlwind and that part was totally amazing and awesome. But I do think it was the nature of the internet and online mm -hmm. blogs back in 2008, um, beginning in 2009. And I don't think that can happen now. I, I hate yeah. to tell people that and I hate to douse their fire, but it was before the recession and mm -hmm. handing out six figure book deals to bloggers was sure, let's do it. And, and now it's very difficult to get anything published. I have been published. I have five traditionally published books and they won't respond to my emails right now because I'm not a Kardashian. Oh, yes. <laughs> even though, even though that first one was a New York Times bestseller. So I, I mean, it's, it's just the nature of the beast and, and you have to adapt. You have to grow. Um, the internet is nowhere near the same as it was back then. No, that's very true. And can we talk really quickly about how you say you blame Gwyneth Paltrow for this? <laughs> yes. So, um, yes. So I blame Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop for the reason that, um, for a few things. One, that um, ad networks, their funding for regular everyday people like us has, um, it's diluted. The pool is diluted. Why would a huge Fortune 500 company pay to advertise on my site when they can advertise on Gwyneth Paltrow or Kim Kardashian's site. Um, and so there's that. And then also with product placement and branding opportunities, again, a known celebrity with a ginormous um, Instagram and Facebook gets um, the the huge deals, which are could easily be in $10,000, $15,000 for a post in a giveaway which is what used to happen back um, before the recession hit. Mm -hmm. Also, again, with diluting the pool, just the fact that there's so much more. So when people are Googling, there's just so much to choose from. And again, Google is going to show you what they think is the highest level of authority. And if Gwyneth Paltrow's PR person linked her, whatever it is, her summer Chipino recipe to five or six different magazines in Good Morning America, that then will be more legit in Google's eyes. Does that make right. sense? That was a very down and dirty explanation of SEO. <laughs> no, I think it really does. And I think, well, it brings up a good point. So I think I have, um, so I just did a, an audience survey and I think I have two types of people. Okay. I have the people who are the same as you who have been around since 2008, 2009. They've probably gone through a rebrand um, they're still in it. They've kind of adapted, kind of changed a little bit, but it's still hard, right? Because we still have this vision of 2008, 2009, when we really just had basically Facebook, Twitter, and comments on your blog. And yes. now we have gazillion different social sites, um, competition, and the and damn then, millennials. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, right? Right. They're taking over Instagram. <laughs> Did I no, totally fine. I love it. So then here's my question then. Okay, so we've got two people here. So what would you say to both groups of people? So we've got the the ones that were in your position, the 2008s that are kind of 
kicking and screaming into 2018. Mm -hmm. And then we have the ones who are just jumping into the game and they're saturated with the make money, get rich quick, grow your email list, blah, blah, blah. So there's two different there. So let's start with the, what pieces of advice would you give to the people in the same bucket as you and how they are changing 10 years later? Sure. So the veteran bloggers and and those are people who have an existing URL that is probably heavily linked all over the internet. And that is something to be proud of. And you also have a body of content on your site already. You do not need to keep creating content. Hmm. So you are ahead of the game in many ways. So take a deep breath. And realize that you're not going to have the the 2006 to 2009 blogging money from banner ads that you used to. And and we're talking, it, it was not a joke that you could easily yeah. pull in $1,000 a day on ads. And, and yes, it seems redonkulous now. But mm-hmm. people did it. And I'm not going to name any days names, but there are people who counted on that money and thought that gravy train would never end and then filed for bankruptcy. So one, um, have a good mm-hmm. <laughs> foundation in place. Yeah. So if you do come across some money, you save it and you put it in your IRA. Um, <laughs> yes. Wise words. <laughs> so, um, so, so back to the fact that you probably have at least 100 articles on your site. And I use 100 as sort of a base of content. You've got 100 articles. Now work on jazzing them up, making sure the images are all Pinterest friendly, exactly the way Kate describes, making sure the search terms in the Pinterest pin and in the alt text are all proper, making sure all of your images are actually SEO friendly and aren't all just IMG, IMJ or whatever, four, mm-hmm. six, five, seven. So, so making them Googleable. Intermix your articles. So if you have a pillar piece on barbecue baked beans and you already have 10 other different varieties of beans on your site, intermixing them and, and creating the, these sort of pillar things. And then working it. Um, realizing that you are a mentor to new sites and intermixing and interlinking to them and guest posting and that type of thing. And then, so that's a, that's a, a traffic strategy. And then once they're on your site, you need to get them onto your email list and, um, and through email, write to them the same way you would write to a friend, recommend things and, um, you can recommend products, um, through affiliate relationships, you can recommend different things and then, um, start thinking about creating your own products to sell. Mm. Um, and one thing I'll say is I've heard from a lot of people who are in the 2008 to the veteran bloggers mm-hmm. is that a lot of them didn't grow their email list yeah. and they're still a little bit resistant to it. Maybe they're still on Feed blitz. Sure. And they're not well, really feed talking. Feed blitz is free. And so, and it probably all of us have a tiny bit of Scottish in us. And now, yeah. why should we pay for something if I used to be able to get in everyone's email box for free? And I know that. I, I pay $350 a month just to house email addresses. And mm-hmm. it's not something I want to do either. But it is 
what needs to happen. And the fact is, is everyone has a phone in their hand at all times and are constantly checking their email. So the more you email, the more opportunity you have to reach your reader because they're not goofing around online anymore. They're not writing in forums and, and that kind of stuff. They, mm-hmm. you need to go where they are and where they are is in bite-sized chunks on their phone. Right. So investing your money where it's wise to invest and not being super scared to spend it. it it's a challenge. So um, if you have a teeny tiny mailing list, um, MailChimp is free for the first 1,000 people. If you already have an existing list through FeedBurner, then you can import all of your email addresses. You own them. And also you should be downloading them pretty often in an Excel or a CSV um, file in case that ceases to exist. But you can absolutely import them. And maybe you don't pay for the service until you've mapped out what you're going to do with it. Don't just decide to email people and say, hey, I have a new post on my site. You should go check it out. That's not an email. Um, an email is writing to someone the same way you would write to a friend and sharing. And um, and it's absolutely okay to sell in your emails and to make recommendations. Um, if you don't have your own product, team up with a blogger and see if they have affiliate um, products. I have affiliate products. I'm pretty sure most people do now. You do, right? Yeah. And I think that brings up a really good point of there used to be so much competition that um, now it has really, you got to switch to community over competition. And there's sometimes there was that fear of giving away a sale. And I worked with somebody who just taught me great things about this idea of community and sharing other people's links or saying, hey, give me your Amazon link and or I don't have an Amazon link right now. Just grab me yours and I'll send it out to my people or something like that. And that bridges a lot of great relationships where people are willing to reciprocate what it is you've extended to them. But when you hold that back so closely and you're not willing to, to share and extend that like helping hand or even join an affiliate program, you're really, I feel like cutting yourself off. I do too. And I think um, sometimes especially brand new bloggers. So so the veteran bloggers, you already, I'm sure, have many people in your network that you can reach out to. And so take the chip off your shoulder and, and check your ego and reach out. You've met mm-hmm. people at conferences. You've been online for a while. Don't say uh, that, that you don't know anybody because that's not true. So that's talking to the veteran bloggers. For these new bloggers who do feel like they have no, and I'm going to put these in quotes, friends online or anyone they can reach out to, the new way to network truly is within the Facebook groups. It used to be you'd have to fly a few times a year to network in person at blogging events, and it was awkward and it was weird and you didn't know if your shoe's going to fit, and that you don't have to do now. Join Kate's group. Pay attention to to where the people are and, and who sounds like someone who um, you can trust and and who your values line up. It's very quick and easy now um, to meet people that way. It really is. And I think this brings up... This brings up a great point as we, or a great question, I guess, as we jump into the newbie bloggers is I feel like they 
are the target of these new online business selling tactics. And there's that kind of um, not preying on them. I I don't want to assume that everybody who sells online is doing this because I don't think they are. But I have come across some really... Right. Well, yeah, I have come across some bad experiences lately with some friends who've just had horrible experiences in joining courses and they just get nothing on the other side. So now speak a little bit to that new blogger who can look and go And Well, in fact, somebody asked me this a couple months ago. They said, I've been at this since January. Is this going to work? I mean, is it really worth the time that I'm investing into this? What would you say to that question? I think it's important to have some sort of game plan mapped out. So yes, it will pay off. But if you're just blindly churning out content without an end game, um, then I think you are kind of shooting in the dark. So my suggestion when I work with brand new bloggers is to take a step back. What is it you are looking for in five years, then uh, in three years, and then in one year. And um, people want to be considered an expert at something, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. So, um, and they want to make a certain amount of money. So let's say your your end goal is to make a hundred grand a year. Okay, so where is this hundred grand a year going to come from? It's going to come from digital products. It's going to come from affiliates. It's going to come from ads. And, um, and it's going to come from joint venture. Okay, so that's the end game. And that's what you want in your three to five years is $100,000. So then break it down from there. You know you need all of the different social um, networks and that type of thing. And you have them. But if you have them and you're just not selling and you don't have the digital products that you know in five years are going to be making you the hundred thousand, then that's what you kind of have to focus on. So if your if your idea is I am going to sell pet rocks or, or something like that, and then I'm going to teach other people how to how they can make their own pet rock. And then I'm going to share how awesome I am in making the pet rock. And I'm going to have some sort of e-course on how I became so successful selling my pet rock. Then in the very beginning, you need to do your tutorials and your how-tos with the end game in mind. So trying to get people on your email list, trying to get people um, to pay attention to you on Facebook and that type of thing, and and constantly being on the out on the lookout for other people who might be helpful to you, and um, and working with them. So it's not impossible, but there definitely needs to be more of a strategy than it used to be. It used to be you would just sort of sneeze and put your stuff out everywhere with no rhyme or reason and it would go viral. That is not the case anymore. Right. Exactly. So of those two things that you, of that plan that you laid out, so then what would you tell them as far as determining success? Like what would be their, their benchmarks that they should use and what's going to, what would you rank in importance? 
So it's interesting. So most people, when they work with me, they say they want $100,000. Um, right. But really what they want is they want the freedom to work at home and take care of their children and to travel and still have money coming in passively. So when they say $100,000 and then you break it down, really it ends up being that they need about three or 4000 a month, um, and which certainly is not $100,000. But... but but paying attention to that. So mm -hmm. you can decide I need to do this, this, and this, and I need to be everywhere. And I'm going to speak at this conference and I'm going to go and do all these things. But then you're not necessarily home relaxing with your kids, which is the reason you started this in the first place. So I think just sort of paying attention of what your, your huge vision is and aligning your goals in that way and um, and not having the shiny money be mm. exactly what you're chasing. Otherwise, you will fall victim to the make money fast online. I will show you how. So that's not necessarily what you want. You want if, if your goal is to chillax and not necessarily work all that hard and create passive income, then creating the ebook, writing the course, that type of stuff is is what you should focus on. And if they do look to buy a product, what would you say would be some key elements that you would look for before you made a purchase? So I always Google the person who's selling and make sure that they have really done the thing that they said they have done. So okay. you really are a Pinterest expert. You really do have success um, stories from your students. Um, if you Google... Kate Al, Pinterest expert, you're only going to find good things. So that would be my suggestion. Don't follow a business coach who, when you Google him or her, you can't find any information on her except for the coaching page sales letter. Mm, that's a good point. You need to make sure they really have created something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what about... Um, cost. Now that's a big one. So you're not making any money yet, but you definitely feel like you either need a coach or a course. What's your, what would you suggest to people there? Well, I think the money is a shortcut because anything you want to learn, you can on your own through Google. Mm -hmm. Um, what the course and what working with a coach will do is I kind of liken it to shoots and ladders is here's your ladder to get to the next level. Um, mm -hmm. without having to make your way around the board and fall down some chutes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. So, yeah. So um, th that that's where you have to look at it. Do you have more time right now or do you have more money right now? If you have more time right now, then do your research and start making a list of the things that you think you want and think you need and um, and then start whittling it down and research quite a bit and, and see if this will be um, the, the help that you need. So before we get into outsourcing and growing, let's say you're a person who's been at it for a year. You just don't feel like you're making any progress. At what point would you say it's like square peg round hole, like, or it's something's off. And then would you either, would you course correct or would you throw in the towel? Um, I'm a course corrector personally. I feel like um, 
things happen and, and lay out the way they're supposed to. So I think in an online world, I wouldn't ever recommend crashing and burning because uh, what you think isn't massive success is probably a step ahead mm -hmm. someone else. And mm -hmm. if you're getting a couple hundred people a day to your site or a couple dozen people to your site, those are real people. Those are for reals breathing people and reach out to them and, and talk to them. Survey your audience. Ask how you can best help them and, and best serve them and um, figure out how they came to you and what they're looking for you. Are they looking up to you as an older sister? Are they looking at you as someone who has been there, done that? Um, but whatever you do, don't just burn the site down in because you're having a fit of rage. <laughs> yes, that's a good one. And I think you mentioned a really good point. And I, um, I wrote about this in a post and it was like page views versus income because I kept having these conversations with people saying they wanted more, they wanted more. But then when I would press them for how much they actually had, it was quite a bit, yes. but yet they were thinking, well, it's not a, as much as so-and-so. So, -and -so. so yeah. their, their measuring uh, stick yeah. was completely skewed. And it, I heard somebody really early on when I was starting my email list with like the 10 people that were on it, which were like, my other email basically. And like my husband and a few friends. Yeah. And I heard them say like, remember, talk to the one person or even remember, like if you have 10 people on your email list, that's 10 people that are listening. And imagine yeah. if you had 10 people in your living room listening to you, you wouldn't be like, this isn't enough people. I'm not going to give my best. You'd be like, there's 10 people here. Let's discuss what you want to discuss. And 10 engaged people I feel like are better than, a hundred not engaged. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think I, that measurement I, stick is I really important. I completely and totally agree with you. And it, it's dismissive and a little rude um, when people make it seem like um, no one's reading or no, no one's listening. It, it's always funny when I come across a blog post and someone says, well, I know nobody's reading this anyway. And it's like, well, I'm reading it. Right. <laughs> like, who are you expecting? <laughs> Right. And it's, it is, um, if you have that like defeating mentality, like other people are going to pick up on that and yes. they're going to go, Oh, well, I guess she doesn't have anything for me. Cause she really doesn't even believe in what she's doing. Oh my goodness. That is such a for reals thing. I absolutely agree with you. So there's self deprecating, um, which can be used well in mm -hmm. sales and done correctly. Otherwise, it's, well, if you don't have your act together, why on earth should I spend money following you? Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a great way to put it. And be authentic. I will say like that, you know, that's kind of, I don't know if people like roll their eyes at that, but I, I think that's so true. I mean, when I'm writing my weekly email, there's there's parts that I will hold back just because I want to keep a little bit of separation, but there's parts that I won't. And I think I just did that recently, actually, with a, something that we're going through personally. And I was surprised at how the response I got and how people were like, I've been there. And it took it to a different level with my audience of going, OK, we're talking about Pinterest, but yet I'm a real person who right. experiences real things and real pain right. and real joy. And here's that part of it, because I don't eat, breathe, and sleep Pinterest all the time. I'm changing, you know, diapers or doing lots right. of different things. And I want you to know that part of me. 
Right. So. And and I think it's important. So, I mean, I write a recipe site, and so um, it's easy for me to uh, make this this parallel. But people read my stuff because of me, not mm-hmm. yet. Otherwise, they just go to all recipes. So right. that's why they're there. So if you're mm-hmm. a crafting blogger, they're there because they want to know how you used your mosaic tiles. Otherwise, they'll just Google some DIY random site. So um, believe them and, and trust them when you get a reader who writes to you and says, wow, you know, I really felt like you were talking to me. So that's mm-hmm. a big deal. So yeah. acknowledge that and write back. I tell you, it drives me beyond bonkers when I come across someone who thinks they're too big to answer their own email um, yeah. and that kind of stuff. So, and, and we had talked about outsourcing and VAs. That yes. is one thing that I am the most uncomfortable with is outsourcing my customer service and my emails um, because that's me. That I I am not going to create some sort of perfectly crafted and, and branded persona Um mm-hmm. I really do have three children. I really do like my crock pots. I really do work in my pajamas. So I'm I'm not going to hire some person, um, sometimes overseas, to, to do that for me. Yeah. Yes. So that brings me to what you, you know, we you talked about this and when we were emailing back and forth before this, and you said you'll personally outsource everything before I outsource the kids. Oh. I do what I want to <laughs> do so I can stay home with my kids. Yes. And and that's true. And that's true. And I am not going to knock anyone who feels differently in that way. I have plenty of friends who utilize nannies and they work for a certain amount of time and the nannies in the other room are taking their kids to the park. I am not knocking that in any way. I personally, and I have utilized that as well. And I'm very lucky that I have a network of family and blah, blah, blah. What I'm saying is that I have chosen to do what I do because I want to be here after school for the kids. Yeah. I want to be the one who goes on the zoo field trips and volunteers in the classrooms and that type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. and so that's why I've created this sort of flexibility in my professional world that I can do the things that I want to do. And I just look at it as freedom. And um, it's not something I could do if I was stuck working for someone else or in a corporate job. I yeah, and I think there's another side of that too. Is I get a lot of people who say they don't want to outsource for the control piece of it. Like they're too afraid the control piece of the training piece. They don't know how to train somebody, and they're too afraid to get over control. And I get that. I I I understand that completely. But when you're caught in that cycle, it you prevent yourself from allowing yourself to do those other things. So if I was caught up in only wanting to manage accounts, only wanting to have my hands in anything, I would run myself into the ground. And so part of the reason I hired people was because I do that. I work a nine to two on good, most good days. It's a lot less than that some days. Um, So that at two o'clock, my computer closes, it's off. I don't check my phone. I don't do anything. My kids get home at two 30 and I'm, mom from 2 30 to 7 30 and then by 7 30 i'm so exhausted i don't want to open my computer so hey i hear you so um i so i use that i like to answer the emails and it's something that i do well at i do not like to code i do not like to design i do not necessarily like pinterest or facebook so i have outsourced those things um and and so that's 
what I feel the most comfortable um, outsourcing. And really, um, the sales and, and my money and my brain power isn't coming from Pinterest or from Facebook. Mm -hmm. It's coming from customer service and email and relationship building. So that is the best bang for my time and, um, and me outsourcing, uh, makes the most sense financially. Yes, exactly. Be really wise with what you're choosing to outsource. That's, you know, a good tip for everybody to put into practice. Okay. So we're rounding up this great, great discussion. Um, and I want to know what are some of the last tips that you give people in the online space can be anything, whether avoiding scams, outsourcing mentality, whatever you want to do. And then talk a little bit about the space that you've created for people. Cause I think that's, I've kind of watched it unfold within the last month and I think it's pretty cool. So. All right. Um, so, uh, I think, and, and I think maybe we'll go back to the veteran bloggers. Um, I think, the the frantic feeling of um, right around March, April, when you're looking at your your taxes and your income, and you realize, holy bananas, it has really gone down. Um, mm-hmm. I need to quickly make a buck. And so, what we have noticed is that there's more and more things coming about that will teach you a system on how you too can make $30,000 this week and how you can boost your email list by 5,000 people overnight and that type of stuff. And they're guaranteeing results that aren't practical and aren't possible for most people. And so that's where the blur comes in with the ethics and the morals um, because it's a great way to make money. I am, yeah. uh, it, it sells and I know it sells get mm-hmm. rich quick and, uh, lose weight overnight. That will always, always bring in money. Yep. Um, but it's not something that I personally feel comfortable with. And, um, and it's, uh, I will not work with anyone who, um, offers those type of things. And, and for instance, so some people who write about, how much money they make online and they put out these income reports. Mm-hmm. Well, you find out that they are recommending um, products that might not actually be the best for people. Mm-hmm. Um, hosting that isn't reliable, but the reason they're recommending it is because they get $60 every time they get a hit. So mm-hmm. I get it. It's a great way to make money, but I want to go to sleep at night knowing I served my community in the very best way and everything I recommended, I truly personally stand by. Um, and, and so that's um, sort of where I, I put together a, a quick little webinar that I did on um, ethics and morals and blogging. I can send you the link. Yeah, we'll that. link to that yeah. in the show notes. But, sure. but yeah, but, th- but that's like, I just, I can't stand by it. And I get it. I think um, making a living for yourself and for your family is a very important something that I am not knocking in any way. I'm I'm truly happy for everyone to carve out their own niche. I just think it needs to be done. If you are promising results, it needs to be achievable results for your audience. Yeah. And going back to that piece of just wanting to serve people, 
and being excited to do that. And I think that's when the money will come to is when you're just really jacked to tell people what you know and help them. And people see that for sure. And and sales come easier that way also when you know you have something or you've created something that's going to help another person and you're just so excited you can't help but share. You want them on board. You want them to feel and see how totally awesome and doable this is. The sales then come easily and you don't feel like a skeezy salesman. I'll tell you, my dad probably told me this as dating advice, um, but it's stuck with me forever and ever, even though I'm 40. And <laughs> actually, you and I are the same age. I think yes, we, both. we are. Yes, yes. Um, I have a lot more wisdom than I did even last year. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like 40. You're like, I'm way smarter. I'm way smarter. And it's important to have comfortable shoes now. So there's that. Yeah. And a comfortable <laughs> bra. Sorry for those listening. Oh, that's funny. I just bought like a six pack of bras on Amazon. Okay. Going back to my dad's dating advice. He said, never trust a salesman. He will talk you into doing things you don't want to do and steal all your money. Hmm. So I'm sure for that him, that was dating advice. But for me, it's just stuck in the back of my head. And hmm. so my like spidey sense is on alert when I know someone's trying to sell me something. Yes. You're, you're, it's like, hmm, I got your number and you know, (laughs) I know what you're trying to do and I'm going to resist. Well, thank you so much for chatting and sharing. And I, you know, I know this for people who are listening or who are waiting for kind of like Pinterest advice in this, um, it's not really there, but there's a lot of other things that Pinterest is the way I see Pinterest and way I've always seen it is that it's a supplement to what you're doing in your business. It's not complete the complete package of the business. So I really care as you do too, Stephanie, about the whole overall health of people's business. And I'm excited to see them grow. And I'm excited to see them work on other things besides Pinterest, which is why I started Simple Pin was because well, I, I will give you a plug right here, Kate, that deciding to work with Simple Pin and outsourcing my Pinterest through you was one of the best decisions I've ever made because I'm not a graphic-y type person. It's it's not something I'm interested in. And so knowing that you and your team love it and are on top of all things, that was great. I'm like, yes, you take over. Do this for me. Thank you. Yes, that's what we hear from a lot of our clients. So they'll say, I haven't even opened Pinterest in like a year. I don't even know. It, it's working. So we're just, it's good. So thank you. I appreciate that. And it's, it's really fun for us. And having a single focus in social media is easy, you know, because it's not, we're not doing Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. If I was doing all three, man, um, it would be, it would be crazy. So anyway. So, so right there. That little nugget of wisdom is something for your listeners to keep in mind when they're looking to hire someone who says, I know all social media. Think about it. Think Really think about it and how often these platforms change and you really yeah. do want someone who specializes. I couldn't keep up. That would be a full-time job there. Just doing the research and keeping up would be absolutely nuts. So, well, thanks again for your time. This has been awesome. And is there... You, well, I know everybody can go to a year of slow cooking 
dot yeah. com. Is there something else they should go visit too? Is there another URL or is it just that sure. one? So um, they're all sort of tied in the same header. If you're looking specifically for blogging information in the top header, there's a blogging tab. And um, I have a separate email list that I maintain for um, mom bloggers. And when I say mom bloggers, I don't mean that you need to talk about being a mom all the time. I just am trying to weed out skeezy guys. I just... (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So uh, They're like, well, I'm not a mom blogger. I'm a recipe blogger. And I'm like, that's fine. It's the same. (laughs) Yes. You're like, we're all one and the same. We're just trying to keep it, you know, keep it ladies only. Yeah. Got it for sure. Okay. Well, thanks. And I hope you, um, you know, find that people end up going over to check out your blogging information and you also have, um, a great membership part of that with a Facebook group and good information. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes as well. So thanks so much, Stephanie. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Isn't it amazing how fast the online world changes from 2008 to 2018. We've experienced a lot of changes We even have Pinterest now where we didn't have it before in 2008. So how can you as a veteran blogger really change, merge, and have focus with this ever-changing world? And then as a new blogger, how can you come into this world, make smart choices, outsource what needs to be outsourced, learn what you can online for free, and then decide when you need to make a purchase for a product that's going to benefit your business? I hope you took away some great nuggets from Stephanie and I's conversation today. If you want more information, you can go to simplepinmedia.com slash 58. As always, thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.